And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekel. He is Paul Tenorio. We are brought to you this week by Pogs, that weird game of bottle caps and cardboard cutouts that... I didn't really understand how to play when I was a four-year-old, but, you know, I liked collecting them all the same. Paul, were you a Pog, Pog guy? You strike me as a Pog guy. Yeah, I was in fourth grade for Pog life, and uh, for sure I had some good slammers, no doubt about that. The big Pogger. It was a game that lasted a very short amount of time in my universe, but I certainly played it. Um, Pokemon cards were, were more of my age. That was, I think I was in third grade for the height of those. They had to ban trading them at recess because there was a kid who really ripped off another kid for a Venusaur and it was a whole thing. <laughs> anyway, uh, we digress. Um, we've gotten into a, a nasty little habit here of recording shows the day before major MLS news breaks. It's two weeks in a row. First, it was the Sacramento news with Ron Burkle and not moving forward with his expansion bid. And then last week, we had something that I don't think we've ever really seen before in MLS, another thing. And that was the league announcing that they are investigating Inter-Miami for their signing of midfielder Blaise Matuidi. The league is specifically investigating whether the signing of Matuidi, who was signed last summer before Miami had three DPs, complied with Major League Soccer's salary budget and roster guidelines. MLS is not making any further comment until the completion of the, that investigation. Inter-Miami manager Phil Neville spoke to the media earlier this week. He said that he expected the investigation to be wrapped pretty quickly, sounded like five to seven days. Um... Paul, this is pretty significant. Um, basically, what it boils down to, Matuidi was signed to a TAM contract. That means he cannot be paid more than $1.6125 million uh, per season in salary, or at least last year and this year he couldn't. He was bought out of his contract at Juventus, which paid him, I believe, significantly more than that in order to free him up to sign with Miami. Miami subsequently went out and signed Gonzalo Higuain, also, who was also bought out from Juventus to a DP contract. He was their third DP. Um, so if Matuidi had been signed as a DP, they wouldn't have been able to sign Higuain. Um, and now the league is looking into this. Uh, it's curious. It's interesting. It's not really that surprising. It was a major surprise when Miami signed him to a TAM contract last year. Um, I shouldn't say it's not surprising. It, eyebrows were raised last summer. But more eyebrows were raised when this investigation was made public. So I'm I'm droning on here, Paul. What are, what are your thoughts on this whole saga? Well, we talked about it when Matuidi was signed on this podcast, and I basically said that you know it must have been some kind of arrangement where because Juventus bought out the contract and and Matuidi likely got a significant payout from that buyout, that maybe the math made sense. He was going to have to take less money on his next deal. So it wasn't really making him whole between the last contract year at Juve and what he was making at MLS. It was kind of trying to get to what he could have made elsewhere in Europe versus what they could offer him on the top end of TAM. But it turns out, you know, maybe they, they did make him whole um, to that number some somewhere else other than his contract. I think what's surprising here is that MLS self-reported. Not not just that they launched an investigation, Sam. Yeah. That they publicly announced that they had launched an investigation. That's what, different. What does that tell you? Because to me, that signifies a few things. But what does that tell you? Well, I think it tells me a couple things. One, that there was real frustration in the rest of the league and that Garber's, Garber is accountable to his bosses and his bosses are the owners, right? So there's a layer of accountability there. And I think it, it also tells me that, you know, things are changing in MLS. They are 
frankly, getting covered in a way that they didn't before as a league. And I think there is a layer of concern that that things can't stay pushed under the table anymore. Are you patting yourself on the back there, Paul? Hey, if you assumed I was talking about me, that's not my fault. It's the world's most humble podcast, Allocation Disorder. Um, I agree with what both both aspects of what you said. I also think that there's another layer. And I think that that layer is this investigation, while technically still ongoing, I'm guessing MLS knew where it was headed before that announcement was made. I don't think I don't think this is a situation where the league is like, hey, we're going to open an investigation and then find no wrongdoing. I don't think they put themselves through that if they think that's going to be the outcome. So I would expect the league to find something here. Um, I think another sign of that is, you know, Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Doug Roberson and ESPN's Jeff Carlisle reported shortly after this this announcement that that Paul McDonough, who was the sporting director at Inter-Miami at the time this signing was made and is now back with Atlanta United, is not being investigated or is not a target of this investigation. When I saw that, I was like, how can you say someone in that position is not the target or, or isn't going to be investigated when you just are starting the investigation and you don't know where it's going to go? That seems ridiculous, right? Um, well, it's not ridiculous if you haven't just started the investigation and you kind of already have a feel for where it's going. <laughs> um, so I think that there is a possibility there. Um, but I, I really do believe what you said about kind of the owners and I'm guessing some other owners got mad here. Um, and that shot upwards or trickled downwards, I guess, since Garber works for the owners. Um, and these are kind of the consequences. And it's speaking of consequences, it's going to be interesting to see if there are any and if there are what they are. Um, you have any sense on that? I mean, I think very simply put, I was shocked to hear Phil Neville come out and say, we think this will all be resolved in five to seven days. Matuidi's been great in training. Like, let's, let's move on. Yeah, I wasn't shocked to hear that. I mean, like, he's, he's putting, he's putting on a brave face. He's new to the league. Maybe he can be a little bit more confident. You know, he's not going to throw his player under the bus. No, certainly not. I get that part. All I'm saying is, I don't think there's any way that MLS can now allow the Miami roster to just remain as is, right? If they do find that Matuidi was paid under the table, which it sounds like he was, right? Uh, you know, again, connecting the dots to the league, announcing things at uh, all. Are we thinking under the table or like a suitcase, a cash and a trunk? What, what are we thinking mechanics yeah, I would wise? guess that there's some kind of other company that paid Matuidi for services that <laughs> did not exist. <laughs> Got it. Uh, but, um, you know, I just don't think... Like they clearly weren't roster compliant, and that means that they can't be roster compliant this year. So how can you allow the team to play? And and there is precedent here, right? You know, the Galaxy signed Ibrahimovic to a fake TAM contract. Let's just call it what it was. <laughs> and then he became a DP in his second year. Well, I want to get into this. We will, we will. But I, I will start. We'll we'll start here and move backwards. But they had four DPs, and I wrote extensively about the fact that they were trying to figure out a way to play with those four DPs, but there was no way, literally no way, that you could change or write the contract or or to, without changing the contract to make that roster compliant. And what they ended up having to do was buy out Giovanni Dos Santos, who went on to Club America, and... I feel like something similar has to happen in Miami. I don't understand how you can think that the solution is just like, oh, they cheated last year. We we uh, docked them a first round draft pick that doesn't matter and find them 100K. And yeah. also they're going to play with this roster that's also still not roster compliant. Like, how does that make anyone happy? Um, I guess the one question I would have is maybe can Matias Pellegrini be, be a young money player? And... No, he cannot. I mean, we don't know because we haven't seen the salaries, right. but I would so be if, surprised. So if he could, he could be young money and then Matsuidi can be a DP and then you're compliant for this year, right? That doesn't solve the problem for last year, but you're compliant for this year. So I was told not long ago that... Um, Side G- note, that's yeah. not true. That's not, not true. true. Because if you if you try to move Pellegrini down and bring Matuidi up, you mm-hmm. have three overage DPs and thus you can only have one young money player and they have Carranza already. Oh, maybe he could be Tam. You know, who knows? I don't. Anyway, with all of the transparency in MLS, we certainly will know exactly. It's probably it's probably unlikely that Pellegrini can be 
be young money in the first place. So it's probably all moot. Just disregard all of everything I just said. Um, I was told uh, shortly after this news was announced that all MLS GMs and presidents and a couple of other executives at every club have to sign a document every single season, basically saying that they will be roster compliant and they won't cheat and that there's a huge financial penalty if they knowingly breach that. So that could be something that we're looking at here. Um, I believe owners have to sign that document as well. Uh, so that could be something that, that Miami, maybe Jorge Moss, maybe David Beckham, um, apparently not Paul McDonough, uh, are facing. Um, so that'll be interesting. I mean, I don't know if it, maybe you have to buy somebody out. Maybe there's a fine. Maybe maybe they get docked points. Maybe they get stripped of a future DP spot. I, I don't know. Like, you can't really... It feels... <sighs> It feels very punitive to the player to say you have to buy this guy out now for something that's not his fault. You know, you're making him whole from a monetary perspective, but you're, you're taking away his job. Um, and I imagine the MLSPA would probably fight that. Um, so that's an element to consider in all of this too. Um, but, I mean, I don't know. Do you have any more thoughts on, on potential punishments here before we get back to Zlatan well, in LA? I, I just think, like, no one is going to take into consideration, oh, you're you're taking away his job. Like you can I, I buy bet the out, MLSPA will. No, but you can buy out contracts. Like I mean you you can, yeah. But like That's part of parties, what you sign up for when yeah. you're a part of the union. It's in you know, that's what a CBA allows to happen, right? Now, I don't know legally if you can buy out a contract without the permission of the player, but I would imagine you can. I mean, it's... Mm, I doubt it. But we'll I have to look know. into that. But yeah, yeah. Let, I just think it's, it's, it's going to be lawyers. very interesting. I, I just don't know. I mean, and you know what? Maybe MLS comes out and says, we found that they were totally compliant, and behind the scenes, they hit them with that fine, and they they kind of bury the story that way. I mean, let's be... They, they could very well do that, right? Or, or, or they could find that they didn't cheat. Or they could announce a fine. Who knows? Anything's on the table. But I do want to get back to Zlatan, because that's kind of the cogent example here. Uh, you mentioned it already. When he joined the Galaxy, I guess that was in 2018, uh, he signed a Max Tam deal, which at the time was $1.5 million a year, and everyone was like, uh, excuse me? Um, and lo and behold, he also got a fat sponsorship with Visa, in, like pretty much right as he signed, if memory serves. Uh, so I made some calls and I was like, can you explain sources how how a situation like that works? And basically what I was told is the part of the Galaxy pitch to not just Zlatan, but to players like Chicharito or Gio Dos Santos, who signed DP deals, right? So it's not just a way to circumvent the DP rules, um, but it's a way to recruit is to say, hey, if you sign here, you tap into the AG Global Sponsorship Network, Right. And we can hook you up with a partner that you wouldn't be able to get with if you don't sign with us. And then there's some sort of revenue share agreement. Technically, that would fall under a marketing payment, which are supposed to hit the cap in MLS. But maybe there are ways to hide that, right? And so Zlatan got you know a lot of Visa money. Next year, he's paid $7.5 million by the Galaxy. Um, point is, there are ways to bend the rules in MLS, and not get caught. What? Or, yeah, and not get a slap on the wrist. You missed a pretty big chunk here regarding Zlatan. When he left MLS, what oh, was and, and Yes, and and they also gave him an, I can't remember the exact percentage, if it was 25% or 50% stake in Hammerby, which is a club in Sweden, happened to be the arch rivals of the club that he grew up at, Malmo. Um, and he has an ownership stake. Uh, AEG gave that to him. They own that club and they own the Galaxy. And so there was a nice little sweetener waiting for Zlatan after he left LA. Uh, so there are ways that you can finagle these things, right? And that you can tweak the rules and that you can get around things. And if anyone in the world should know that and understand that, it's David Beckham. I mean, David Beckham was signed. They invented a new rule, the DP rule, so he could be signed. And as part of his deal, he got the expand the the right to exercise an expansion option for twenty five million dollars. That's what he did to create Inter Miami. Loopholes were invented, and that's the only reason Inter Miami exists. 
You know, you can get around the rules in MLS if you're creative and if you try a little bit. And Miami apparently didn't and got caught. And now they're getting now they're getting investigated and we'll see where that goes. Um, but it's just, it's just sloppy, <laughs> you know, it's just sloppy and it's kind of fitting of the story of the first year plus of inner Miami. Yeah. And I just want to put this just on the table here to a certain degree, not all, everything. And I'm not, not going to spill all the tea here, but like, it is not the first time we've heard about rules getting bent in MLS. It's not the first time beyond Zlatan that we've heard of teams finding creative ways to fit players under the caps it is the first time that we have, well, first of all, obviously, in those cases, you, you have to have proof to report them, which is why we haven't. But I think it's certainly the first time that we have seen MLS put its hand up and say, we're going to take a look at what's going on here. Yeah. Not to say that that hasn't happened elsewhere in MLS, right. but never. Not publicly like this. Not publicly, yeah. I mean, I mean, when there were rumors that flew around when Tim Howard signed, right? That part of the reason he was given the contract that he was given, which I think was a four year guarantee, it's something like two and a half million dollars a year, was because his signing allowed the Rapids to get the Jersey Front sponsor, Transamerica. Right? And so you're making up a little ground on the back end and, and like there there are all sorts of side deals that can happen. Now maybe Matuidi is not the draw that those other players are, right? He certainly has the playing career and the pedigree and the resume, um, but he's not as known in, in the United States as Laton or Tim Howard or Giotto Santos or Chicharito, what have you. So, you know, maybe they tried and it, and it didn't work. <laughs> um, but it's just, uh, I don't know. It's just like everything inner Miami has done has been a hot mess thus far. And it kind of fits the broader narrative. I'm curious to see where this goes. I just want to add one more thing here. Matuidi and Higuain felt to me, very much like the beginning of what we have seen since, which was David Beckham exerting more influence in Miami. Yeah, right? and, and to be fair, I thought it was a great signing for Tam. Like, I was like, oh, this guy's going to come in. He's going to be a good player. You got him for Tam. This is fantastic. What a move. I was I just, about that. I just think, like, we've seen Beckham say, I'm going to take more ownership of this club, right? Like, he, he moved back. He moved to Miami. He's been out at training. He's been in the forefront. There was a huge shakeup in the front office. Paul Does he McDonough live in Miami left. full time? Yeah, he moved to Miami. You know, he felt like he had to be around the club. He's, he's not doing, in England, huh? He's doing crossbar challenges at training sessions now and training with the team and doing stuff with the academy. And and both of these guys were his former teammates. Yeah. And, and I just think that to a certain level... When you're David Beckham, to your point, was he with I don't know if he was teammates I don't with think Iguain, was, I don't he think was, he was with Matuidi at PSG, right? Yeah. But I think to a certain degree, there might be a level here simply like David Beckham being like, "I'm David Beckham. You you gave me twenty five. You gave me a twenty five million dollar ownership of a team. You can tell me I can't sign a guy. I can't use one of my companies in Europe to to give this guy a marketing deal or something. Like, who are you to tell me not to do this?" You know, like I am David Beckham. And for the most part, that's worked pretty well for David Beckham over the man. course of his career, man. So you look I into David Beckham's eyes and tell him no. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. All I don't know. I, I don't know if the he if he's the one who did. I'm not trying to say he's the one. I'm just saying like David Beckham. He's kind of that's how what he throws his weight around. Yeah. I mean, it's not unreasonable what you're saying. I, I, I think it's. I think we should be clear we're not making any, you know, definitive statements or accusations on this podcast. Um, Just kind of pointing out some of the things we're thinking and hearing and speculating a little bit. Um, You know, just got to protect ourselves there, Paul. Just got to be totally clear. Where do you think this ends up, though? I mean, like speaking of speculation, like like if you had to guess, where do you think this ends up? And like, what do you think? I mean, is Inter-Miami going to dig out of this hole or are we looking at Orlando expansion 2.0 here? Well, my my experience covering MLS makes me think that the punishment's not going to fit the crime here. Um, but I also have never seen MLS bring something out publicly like this, Sam. So I, I'm going to say that there's going to be a fine and everyone's going to move on, even though we all know that they're that means they're just like not roster compliant. Um, and on the second part of the question, I like Chris Henderson a lot. 
I think he's got a great eye for talent. I, he's been a part of a very successful organization for a very long time. I think that Chris Henderson is going to get that roster set. I think it's going to take some time. Mm-hmm. You know, I I you know, I think it's going to take a couple of years. I don't know if it'll take Orlando level time, but I, I I have faith in Chris Henderson as a as a GM. What do you think, Sam? Yeah, I don't know. I I think I agree with you. Uh, I think there are a lot of competing interests there, though, right? And I think that dynamic in the front office, not just between Beckham and Henderson, um, because by all accounts, like two guys that I think are going to be able to get along with each other very well and all of that. Um, But also Phil Neville, you know, they come from different worlds. They have different experiences uh, and they know different players. And so who are, who's going to win those battles when push comes to shove? How are they going to strike that balance? You start to see it already, right? Like you got Gregory, who was a Sounders target. Chris Henderson came from the Sounders this offseason, for those who don't know. You have Joven Jones signing earlier today on Thursday uh, from the Sounders. And then you have like Richard Shawcross, you know, signing from Stoke after a couple of injury riddled seasons over there. So, you know, we've got all sides of the spectrum at this point. It's going to be interesting to see kind of who wins out. Um <sighs> I don't even want to make it. This is such a cop out, but I don't even want to make any predictions on Miami because this way, this thing could go any which way uh, at this point. And I think literally nothing would surprise me. Um, speaking of surprises, we're going to take a quick early break Two break show tonight. We're doing things more professionally on allocation disorder. Now that we're sponsored by pogs, we got to keep it right. Um, so we'll be right back after the break. <laughs> Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willingly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And we're back. Allocation disorder just went through Inner Miami and the shenanigans and hullabaloo going on down there in South Florida. We will continue traveling south to Guadalajara, where the U.S. under 23 slash under 24, technically, national team has now gathered 
for the CONCACAF Olympic qualifying tournament set to kick off one week from this recording, uh, Thursday night, March 18th, against Costa Rica. They will begin group play, followed by matches against the Dominican Republic and Mexico. The top two teams from each group, there are two groups down there, Group A and B, will advance to the semifinals, with the two semifinal winners advancing to the Olympic Games in Tokyo this summer. The U.S., of course, is not qualified for the Olympics since 2008, so looking to break that drought. And earlier on Thursday... Jason Kreis, who is coaching the team, also an Inter-Miami connection there. He is an assistant with Inter-Miami, um, named the 20-man roster. So let me run that down for you real quick, uh, and then we'll get into kind of some talk about the details. We've talked about it a little bit before on the show. But goalkeepers, Matt Fries from Philly, JT Marcinkowski from San Jose, David Ochoa from RSL. Defenders, you got Julian Arajo from the Galaxy and Aaron Herrera. Uh, as the right backs, center backs, Justin Glad, Henry Kessler, Mauricio Pineda, left back, Sam Vines, uh, midfielders, um, kind of more holding midfielders, potentially number eights, Johnny Cardoso, Hassani Dotson, Andres Perea, Jackson Yule, uh, more attack minded center midfielders, or at least guys who are listed as center midfielders, Yuli Yanez, Sebastian Saucedo, and Georgi Mihailovic, and then forwards, Jesus Ferreira of FC Dallas, Jonathan Lewis, winger from Colorado. Benji Michelle of Orlando can play as a winger or as a striker. And Sebastian Soto of Norwich City, more of a traditional striker. Paul, I've been talking a lot. I'm out of breath. Tell me what you think. Yeah, it's an interesting roster. I think certainly it illustrates the how stretched this team was when we're talking about depth, especially in midfield. I mean, let's start off by reminding everyone here that the, the best players under the age of 23 for the U.S. are were not going to be released by their clubs to play in these qualifiers. Clubs are not obligated to release players for the Olympics or for Olympic qualifiers. And so, you know, when you look at the best players under the age of 23 in the U.S., you're talking about Christian Pulisic, Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams, Josh Sargent, Tim Weah. None of those guys, Serginio Dest, were being released. Add into that you know, the next wave of players in Europe who have who have recently started to break out or have recently moved over to Europe who aren't going to be involved. So Matthew Hoppe, Brendan Aronson, Mark McKenzie, Reggie Cannon, Brian Reynolds, none of them are available. And when you look especially at attacking midfield, that's where I think this really hurt what Jason Christ had at his disposal. If you look at the attacking midfield depth chart, I mean, you're talking about you know, you're going getting down to five, six, seven deep at that position for this roster because Pulisic's out, McKenney's out, Aronson's out, Paxton Pomicall, hip surgery, um, uh, Richie Ledesma, ACL surgery. And, and frankly, that's the biggest weakness now on the roster. You get through yeah. those top five players and there really aren't a ton of options. Georgie Mihalovic is here and, and he's really the only natural attacking central midfielder on this roster. And he played mostly on the wing for Chicago last year. Yeah, yes. But if you watch Chicago play, he was never a, a winger. You know, Not, the whole, not a winger, I, the but he's design. sort of in between. You know? Yeah, he's not, not a Greg, central player either. Sure. I, I just think that in the system that I think that the U.S. has played, Mihailovic is capable of playing that position, has played that position professionally. You know, for a Chicago team that didn't play a straight 4-3-3, he didn't have uh, he wouldn't have a spot to play there right because of the way that they played he played as a left winger coming inside into the pocket to get on the ball so I, I think he fits but really I mean if you look at Greg Berhalter's system for the senior national team which this team is definitely playing you know he doesn't really have a natural number 10 there either I mean if their first choice players are available, it's Weston McKinney and Eunice Musa. No, they don't really play ahead. with number 10s, you know, like or, not the traditional number 10. midfielders, yeah. really. I mean, Weston McKinney, no one would call him an attacking midfielder. Eunice Musa is playing right midfield at Valencia. Yes, but I think the senior team, I think it's fair to say you're, you're playing with wingers when you have the first choice team, Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna specifically, who can come inside, contribute in the middle and play the final pass. I think you're missing that element for the most part on this team. Um, so I don't know that, like, I think that's the position to talk about, 
right? And Jason Kreiss, he had a press conference earlier on Thursday after the roster got named. And he was asked, you know, hey, a lot of these center mids are pretty defensive minded. What What's the thought process? What do you think? And he's, he didn't really disagree with that. But what he said was, hey, these guys are a little bit more versatile than what where they play for their clubs. And he name-checked Johnny Cardoso, who I don't think I mentioned in the rundown, actually, but he is on the team. Um, Johnny Cardoso and Hassani Dotson, in particular, as guys who he feels can play a little bit higher up than they do for Internacional and Brazil and Minnesota, respectively. Um, so that's going to be interesting. He also refused to say <laughs> where he thinks uh, Yuli Yanez and, and Sebastian Saucedo are are at their best. Typically, those guys line up as wingers. Saucedo, you know, he has experience playing in the middle, um, certainly, and he has that ability. Um, they're listed as midfielders on the roster. That doesn't necessarily mean anything. Um, so we'll see. You know, I, I think Jackson Ewell is pretty the cl- the clear cut starter um, at the number six, and so we're talking about who's going to play in front of him. I would guess Georgi Mihailovic has a pretty good shot at that, um, and then that. Other spot, it's kind of up for grabs, in my opinion. Um, I mean, at least from the outsider's perspective. It just depends. I mean, I, I, I could also see, you know, a lineup where you have Johnny Cardoso and um, and Hassani Dotson lining up or Andres Perea lining yeah, up. Yeah, I mean, nothing, like, I think any possibility is, is on the table. Well, for me, you know, there is a value here in the ability of that midfield to run and cover ground. Mm -hmm. And um, it's not as important for them to create. A lot of the creation is going to come from the person who I think is going to be starting at number nine, which is Jesus Ferreira as as kind of a a false nine um, who drops down into midfield to find the ball and create for the wingers. And I think we'll see that translate to this team as well. I think we'll see Jonathan Lewis starting on one wing. And I think we could see um, any of those other options starting on the other wing. Maybe it's Georgi Mihailovic. Maybe it's Sebastian Saucedo. Maybe it's Yulianez. Maybe it's Benji Michel. Um, I, I do think, you know, we, we talked a lot about Jeremy Abobasi not being on this roster last time around. Mm-hmm. It's just very clear that they want players who can facilitate from that number nine position. You can drop in, get on the ball, turn and create. And I think Sebastian Soto is going to be a guy who is probably called on late in games. He's better in the air. He's kind of a more traditional striker, but this team is going to run through Ferreira, I think. And if you look, I mean, he didn't produce a ton for Dallas playing an attacking midfield role last year. Yeah. It's a different position though. Yeah. He scored a lot of goals the year before that eight goals, six assists in 2019. He scored, Multiple goals and had multiple assists in his appearance for the senior national team in this past January camp, um, and he and he was productive in the last January camp playing the same position. They really like him in the national team program, and you know I, I just think the system is going to be built around the wingers and the forward for creation more than for through those those any of those three central midfielders. I agree. I would also add in the outside backs to that mix. By the way. Um, Sam Vines at left back and Araujo or, or Herrera at right back in particular. Um, a little more context. Christ was pretty effusive with his, with his praise of Ferreira on, in his press conference. He, he called him a perfect candidate. And that's a quote, uh, for the number nine and how they want to play. Uh, a couple of other notes that he mentioned, um, goalkeeper race, he said is pretty tight. But he, he didn't name any names, but he was like the most experienced MLS guy might have the slight edge to start the first game and maybe we'll rotate between the first and second. Most experienced MLS guy is JT Marcinkowski of the San Jose Earthquakes. Uh, so look for him to get the nod in the beginning. Uh, and then, you know, he also mentioned Efra Alvarez. Um, Efra Alvarez was named to both the preliminary rosters for the U.S. and Mexico. Uh, he has the possibility to suit up for both. He did not get named to the final rosters for either. He was not called to the training camp for the U.S. Christ said that, you know, Alvarez just basically told them that he's not ready to make a decision at this point. If he had gone to the U.S. and he played, that would have bound him to the U.S. permanently. Um, going to Mexico for who he, whom he has played in previous youth competitions would not have changed kind of the status quo. Um, but he didn't end up there either. We'll see if that means something for the March friendlies for the senior team. But when I look at this roster, Paul, you know, I see kind of, I mean, 
I'm, I'm just trying to think how to put this here. I guess I feel good in a few different positions, right back, left back. I feel good in both of those spots with what is on the roster. I feel good about Jackson Ewell as the number six. I probably feel decent about one of the number eight positions, depending on who it is, um, and a little bit iffy on the other. I feel good about Jesus Ferreira. I feel fine about Jonathan Lewis. And then center backs, I'm a little iffy. Goalkeeper, I'm a little iffy. And that other winger, I'm a little iffy. Does that sound okay to you? Any big disagreements there? No. I mean, I I think that, you know, this roster realistically, first of all, in my opinion, the roster last March was stronger than the roster this March. There are are question marks. I don't think there's any doubt. Just to give people a quick rundown. Brendan Aronson was on that roster, I believe. Uh, Paxton Pomacall was on that roster, I believe. Mark McKenzie, Reggie Cannon. Just a few of the guys who Richie are Ledesma. Not, Richie Ledesma. Just a few of the guys that are not with the team for the reasons Paul ran down earlier. Yeah, and I, I, I do think that there are question marks here, just how things are going to fit together. Do they have the wingers? Really, do they have the wingers to build off of? And and there should be some faith that when you see what Ferreira did and you see what um, Jonathan Lewis did when, when they were with the senior team against a not great opponent, but... They, they destroyed them. You know, Jonathan, you know, the, the runs that he made, Jonathan Lewis from the wing w- were rewarded. I think there are reasons to be optimistic. However, the U.S. is in a very difficult group. You know, they start off with Costa Rica, who I think have a stronger U23 team than they have a senior team right now. Like the pool is so deep. As in, US. as in the U23 team would beat the senior team or, I don't know or just that. compare like relative to their competition? Relative to their competition. And I think relative to the, how you think about a national team in cycles, there is an, there should be an extreme amount of optimism for the 2026 World Cup for Costa Rica and less so for the 2022, depending on the, how quickly some of these players develop in the domestic league and abroad in some cases. Including um, MLS. Including MLS. Um, but, you know, I mean, and some of those names people are familiar with. Leal, Randall Leal in Nashville, one of the better players on that team. Uh, Luis Diaz with Columbus. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, these Marvin Luria with Portland Timbers. You know, these are players that, that MLS fans will be familiar with. Um, and others they're going to learn about when, when Alavolense plays Atlanta, uh, in, in the CONCACAF Champions League. So, um, you know we're we're gonna see uh, we're gonna see how good this team is right off the bat against that Costa Rica team. They need to win that game. They I mean that Mexico. game. That game is almost the whole tournament. It right is. There. It really is. And 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 here's the thing that I thought was interesting. Jason Christ brought up, and this is the other factor, not just that the roster is not as strong as it was last March. Last March, those teams, the the, the roster had played multiple MLS games when they came together. Yeah, they were match fit. Forgive my ignorance. Is the Costa Rican League in season? It is. It is in season. These guys are match fit. They've been playing games. Not all of them are regular starters, but they're, they're in season. And that it is traditionally we see CONCACAF Champions League is a great example. It, it's even if you have somewhat equal talent, it's very difficult to compete against teams that have the sharpness of having played games. So, We'll see. I mean, we will see. I I just feel like in some ways it's it's kind of like weird to feel like pessimistic about a U23 team when you look at the fact that the senior team is basically a U23 team. But because <laughs> of that reason, it's going to make qualification harder than I think most yeah. people realize. I think it's fair to say you're maybe pessimistic about the U23 team in this tournament. If it's a full U23 on paper squad... You wouldn't be pessimistic about it. And I'm not trying to say I'm pessimistic. I'm just trying to be realistic here that there are, you know, to your point, you pointed out some of the weaknesses that you see within the roster and areas that that are question marks. And then you you take that and you add in the fact that no one's played any games. And then you take that and you add in the fact that they're in a group with Costa Rica and Mexico, which was kind of set up to try to help. The U.S. in a it way. Was, I mean, it wasn't really set wasn't up. It was. Set it was. Up, it, it was drawn. Like- it was drawn based on past performance in these in this qualification tournament, which the U.S. has not been good in. So they don't get to be a top seed like Mexico, and so they get drawn against Mexico. And and theoretically, that's better for them, right? Because the top two teams 
if they get out of the group, the it's better for them. But you got to yeah. get out of the group. And Costa Rica's legit, you so, know? So if you win that game against Costa Rica, I think, you know, it's everyone would expect Mexico, U.S., and Costa Rica to take, to take care of Dominican Republic. Um, you know, if you win against Costa Rica, you win against Dominican Republic, you have six points going into your finale. Um, and you might, you're probably guaranteed already, um, to go through. And then you're playing a semifinal against one of the teams from the other group, which is Canada, Haiti, Honduras, and God, help me out here, Paul. Is it Guatemala or El Salvador? A lot of show prep this week, folks. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> I didn't have the other group pulled up. Um, regardless, uh, an easier opponent than Costa Rica or Mexico, I think, for the most part, it would be fair to say. Um, so you avoid kind of the other two biggies in the semi, and, and then if you if you win that, you're, you're on to the Olympic Games for the first time in a dozen or 13 years, a baker's dozen number of years. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, that first game is going to be, I mean... That's going to, like, if, if you lose that first game, you have to beat Mexico. And Mexico has a really strong squad. You don't want to put yourself in that position at altitude against another country, the majority of whose players are in season right now. Um, so that's going to be tough uh, and not a position that Jason Christ or the U.S. will want to put themselves in. Paul, should we take another, should we take another break and then come back with a little, you know, a little fun MLS chatter and maybe some less fun christian Pulisic talk let's do that let's do it all right we'll be back today's episode is brought to you by our old friends mac weldon wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways like a zero calorie cheeseburger internet ads in march that weren't just reminders to do your taxes a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold a manchester united that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. And we are back again for the second time after after a second break. I think this might I think we might be making history with the two break show. We're we're over a year in. We didn't ever mark our anniversary, by the way, Paul. I kind of feel a little bad about that, but we both forgot. So, I mean, time flies when you're having as much fun as we have on allocation disorder, you know? Time flies on the world's foremost labor law podcast. <laughs> Nothing. We'll, we'll have to celebrate. We'll have to celebrate with some like a really boozy show. We'll make it like a Q&A show. Oh, yeah. And maybe we'll maybe we'll have like our first guest on that show. We'll get somebody oh. who's like. Likes to get boozy or something. From, Let's not get carried league. away, okay? Um, guests, we got to shake things up. This 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 is like a a tin can connected with string kind of operation. I don't know if we have the technical capabilities to bring a guest onto the show. Your computer definitely is a tin can with a string attached to it. I can confirm that much. And no Y key. And no Y um, key. Still, <laughs> still. Hey, my I, I got the I got the wireless keyboard. I just have to set it up. 
we're we're making progress. That was Christmas, I think, right? That you got that. Hey, you know, it's it's. I didn't say it was fast progress. Just said it was progress. We're getting there. Um, Paul, do you know about NBA Top Shot? I do. I know enough, which is not that much, except for that it exists and what it is. All right, tell the people what it is then. From what I understand, it's basically replacing trading cards with video highlights right. that are done through blockchain and absurd prices are being paid for these NBA highlights. Non-fungible tokens going for thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. It seems bonkers to me. I don't get it. You can literally watch these highlights on the internet for free, um, but you can also get one of 500 of, I don't know, Thomas Saturensky making an assist like and you can pay six you can make six grand for it i mean i I don't know um but it got us thinking what if there were mls top shots and i put this out on twitter earlier today and and but actually before i get into this i just want to say something i don't get top shot i feel like an old person because it's I'm I'm just yelling at clouds here. Why are you paying so much money for this? I asked my friends who, who some of them have bought these and I'm like, "What are you doing?" And they're like, "Well, it's scarce, so people will buy it." I'm like, "Just because there is a scarce good doesn't mean it's good to own." Like, "All right, yeah, I could make one of the crappiest coasters in the world. That doesn't mean it's worth 10 grand." Like, what I feel like I'm taking crazy pills, dude. I don't know what's going on here, um, but I think I've revealed myself as a boomer. I, I don't know. Can you help? Like, can you help me? I need help. <laughs> I kind of like this because it's the first time that I think that you're starting to feel old, which is good. Every every person needs to go through no, this I have moment an old where soul. something have happens an old soul. and they don't really understand why it's happening or what's happening. It's like, yeah, you're getting old. Let's start there. Second of all, some things <laughs> are valuable because they are rare or one of a kind, like this like show. Like MLS teams. Like this show. Like, do you think that, like, Pogs was able to sponsor <laughs> this show for cheap? No. You think the keg of Evanston just didn't pay anything to sponsor this show last week? Do you think Buff... We're in talks with Buff Joes right now. I hope <laughs> I don't say too much, but we are in talks with Buffalo Joes, okay? Um... All right, so you didn't really say anything to make me feel better about myself. But we got to thinking about what if there was an MLS top shot? And I put that out there on Twitter. If you could buy one moment, a non-fungible token. I, I love saying that, by the way. A non-fungible token of, of an MLS moment throughout league history. What would it be? And it just really reinforced my overall belief that like MLS is meme league soccer. There is so much stupid crap that is hilarious and awesome and wonderful that has happened in this league. And some of the replies were fantastic. But Paul, I'll put the question to you. And maybe it's uh, uh, something we talked about, you know, uh, on a recent episode of the show involving your Tico, Roy Miller. But if you could buy one MLS top shot moment, what would it be and why? I think if I were to buy one, I would buy it as an investment, like your buddies thinking like, okay, there are people crazy enough to pay money yeah. for an MLS hi- highlight, but like people have to be really crazy to actually spend real money on an MLS highlight. And in order for that to be something that resonates, right? It's got to be something that goes to a wider audience. So I would, I, I would narrow it down immediately to like mega stars who have played in MLS. So Zlatan, Zlatan's goal. So first there's goal. Two, two candidates. It's either Zlatan's first goal. Well, not first goal. Yeah, first goal is when he first comes on and hits mm-hmm. the midfield shot. Yeah. Or it's something Thierry Henry. Now, probably not Roy Miller. <laughs> what I would actually want, which is Roy Miller stepping up and hitting that shot in front of Thierry Henry. But one of his like amazing goals with the Red Bulls. But yeah, I mean, if I want to make real money, it's it's the lame answer. You make well, me feel like it's a lame answer. It's it the is big lame. money answer. It's very lame. I wasn't asking you if you want to make money. I was just asking like for your own enjoyment. You know, what do you want for your own enjoyment? If it's for my own enjoyment, I think I'll take Eddie Pope's extra time header in the 1996 MLS Cup final to win it for DC United. It, it, a connection to my childhood. Man. You're just tugging at the heartstrings here, Paul. Uh, I got a few. Isn't of the, that what collecting is about? Uh, it's really nostalgia. Just like, it's nostalgia. A moment, it's like it's a, a moment, moment in time. time. Yeah, there Whoa. you go. Whoa. Whoa. Hey. hey, 
Hey, we talk to each other way too much. Man, this tin can connected with string is just brimming with sparks right now. <laughs> oh my god. Um yeah, all right. Well, I think that's a good choice. I got a couple of those a couple of people responding with that exact moment, by the way, um earlier today. Um and there are so I initially put out like a joke, like, oh, I knew who's bicycle kick clearance, but there are so many better ones. There's Luke Mulholland jumping into the post. Amazing. Just fantastic. One of the better, like, serious ones I got was the D row free kick. And for those of you who are newer to MLS, go do yourself a favor. This is no lie, one of the best free kicks in any league of all time. Like, it is absurd. Uh Dwayne D. Rosario free kick, the the bend that he put on that ball insane go watch it the bend the velocity everything that that's a good shout um i mean there are a lot man like there's so many i mean mls is a league of moments right yeah it's the meme league it's it's crazy crazy things happen in our in our um editorial chat today with our colleagues at the athletic we talked about this and we opened it up to american soccer and i came up with one that was immediately vetoed as being too much of a stretch to the, the concept of American soccer, which was Clint Dempsey's goal for Fulham in the Europa League, which I think absolutely counts as an American soccer moment and also would be a great <laughs> top shot zone. I mean, I'm going to throw another Clint Dempsey moment at you. Okay. Uh, the red card wedding from the Open Cup. Like, when, when, he took, up the when he took the referee's cards and notebook and just ripped them up onto the field and the game ended with, I think it was like eight on eight, maybe in extra time. Um, that game was absurd. You have to feel like if you got the deuce face moment, that that would be yeah. a pretty pretty valuable top shot. It's not uh, an that actual was, play, that, but it that, was on that, the field. Yeah, that was against Jamaica in a World Cup qualifier. I want to say maybe a Gold Cup match, but yeah, he was given he was given some real sass uh, to a, to a fellow player. I mean, there are all sorts of things, man. Remember when Jermaine Jones got suspended for six games for basically assaulting a referee? I feel like that would be a cool top shot moment. Um, People were sending me my own tweet based on this query that you threw out there of Alan Cruz tackling his own teammate in a oh, game last season. Oh, just a- there FC will never Cincinnati. be there will never be a more 2019-2020 FC Cincinnati moment than that. If you could distill those two years of the FCC into one like three second video, there it is. That's all you need to know. Uh, amazing. One of my favorite ones that I got was the Eric Hasley getting a second yellow card for taking off of his his shirt while celebrating but he didn't just take off his jersey while celebrating he took off his jersey while celebrating and had another jersey on underneath it in an attempt to avoid getting a second yellow card for this move and he still got it anyway eric hasley another another serious recommendation for the folks who are a little bit newer to mls uh, and a a story on top of it Um, he scored one of the greatest goals i've ever seen as well for the vancouver whitecaps against seattle Go look that up. And, sorry, go ahead, Paul. I'm just going to throw one more thing at you. And this is putting you on the spot. You didn't oh, know boy. I was going to ask you this question. I didn't. What is the top shot moment you would pick of a MLS game? MLS, not not anything beyond that. An MLS mm-hmm. game you actually attended. A top shot moment that you were there for in Major League Soccer. Hmm. That's not easy. Been to a lot of MLS games. Like a lot, a lot. Oh, I'm kind of drawing a blank here. Um, I mean, this one wasn't fun for me in the moment, but MLS Cup 2013 had its share of insanity. That's for sure. Uh, sporting Kansas City in, in RSL. I was working for RSL at the time. Uh, and a 10-round shootout. Um, I swear, I will swear on my life that the final kick, it was Lavelle Palmer, uh, he hit the underside of the crossbar and it didn't go in. I swear that ball moved just a little bit in the run up to his kick. And that made all the difference. Um, so I don't know, maybe that one, I don't know. Javi Morales hit the post in that hit the inside of the post from distance in that game. And it bounced out and around the other post and went out of bounds for a goal kick. That was the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, so those aren't like fun ones for me, but they would be good moments. I believe Kansas City fans would enjoy them. Um, other MLS games that I've attended that would be good. Man, I'm trying to think of like some funny ones that, that happened at games that I've been to. 
I've got two infamous moments that I that I can pull while yeah, you think. Let of me one. let me think. Yeah. One, you know, Matt Doyle sent me the link or or tweeted the link at us uh, today, and I was there for it, which was David Arshakian's miss from inside the six. Um, Unbelievable! All things, all things David Arshakian are worth a lot they're of wi- money. They're worth their side. weight in gold. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, mini mini Ibra. Um, I I don't know if this counts because I said MLS. It was two MLS teams playing each other, but it was an Open Cup game, so Still, this is, yeah, we we'll count. This it. counts. I was there when Blanco headbutted an official, uh, not like a, a game official, like a match official who was just like a random guy and like employee at the soccer play <laughs> against DC United, filling in for golf on what was supposed to be like oh, it's just like an easy Wednesday Open Cup game story, and then Blanco headbutted some poor person. Um, wow. So that would be like a great top shot to have. I think. Oh man, this isn't an MLS game, but there was something called the Chicago sister cities cup when I was covering the fire and the fire brought in three teams for this little friendly tournament. I think Legia Warsaw was one of them. Red star Belgrade was one of them. And ugh, which maybe Monarchus Morelia rest in peace. There was a, there was a league MX team involved as well. Uh, the red star Belgrade fans we're completely insane, like in the best way. Like these people took over Toyota Park, like a whole corner, several sections, probably a thousand or so of them. They were lighting off flares. They were like the only people at the game. They're lighting off flares. It's like not even dark outside. They're lighting off flares. They're ripping out seats at Toyota Park just to see like a summer friendly of Red Star Belgrade. So not an MLS game, but pretty crazy moment. I can't think of any off the top of my head here, Paul, and I feel ashamed about it. But, I mean, I, I can guarantee you that I saw Javi Morales do some really cool stuff in person on the soccer field. Um, you, you're giving me a look. You don't like that. No, I think it's fine. You came up with a couple moments. They, they weren't amazing moments. I'm sure you'll think of a really good one and text me later tonight. I told you I was putting you on the spot. It was a tough position. I should have warned you. No, it's okay. Maybe you just thought of it right then. You've been you know? to more. I did just think of it right now. But you, you've been to a lot more MLS games than I have. So it's hard to pull, you know? Um, I have been to a lot of MLS games. Too many, in fact. Um, anyway, moving on. Slightly less fun topic. We shouldn't have ended with Top Shot. This was a mistake in sequencing. But I wanted to talk a little bit about Christian Pulisic. He has not been playing at Chelsea since Thomas Tuchel took over. Thomas Tuchel took over for Frank Lampard towards the end of January. Oddly enough, Thomas Tuchel was Pulisic's manager at Borussia Dortmund um, when Pulisic was kind of breaking through. Um, I think he gave him his pro debut. Am I right there? Or did Klopp give him his pro? Yeah, he he gave him his pro debut. So basically, he had his success at Dortmund under Tuchel, and Tuchel has arrived at Chelsea. They have played 11 games since he got there. They have not lost a single one. And Pulisic has only started one time, and that was in the FA Cup. Probably, you know, from Chelsea's perspective, I don't want to say least important match of that because the the FA Cup is certainly important, but it's probably the least important match of the 11 that Tuchel's been in charge. Paul, what do you make of this whole situation? It's caused a lot of consternation on American soccer Twitter. I don't know if uh, it's right to freak out about it, but I also think that there are legitimate warning signs here. And, you know, depending on how things shake out for the rest of the season... This summer could be interesting. Yeah, it's difficult because I think, first of all, anytime there's a change in manager, there are going to be kind of some ups and downs. And um, Christian also had injuries in this in this time span that factored into playing time. I, I don't want to hit the panic button. I don't think I should say this. I don't think Christian Pulisic should hit the panic button and try to force his way out of Chelsea this summer. I think you you can give yourself some time to make an impression. You can go through preseason. You can see what Tuchel's plans are for Chelsea after this season. I think he kind of has come in and found a way to put some band-aids on a team and get results, which is his job at this point in time, turn things around. And that's involved a formation that doesn't really fit Christian Pulisic. Right. At the same time, Sam, and, and I'll turn it to you on this, I think that's the biggest problem. Right now, the way... Tuchel wants to play with Chelsea doesn't really fit Christian no. Pulisic. And just to give people a little bit more background, they're sort of playing like a 3-4-2-1 three, type of situation. Uh, so you have two wing backs essentially, uh, and then two kind of 
two sort of number 10s, I guess you can call it that. Not traditional ones, but guys who are attacking and kind of playing in the channels. Not really playing out wide, but playing in those channels between the middle and the wings. And a striker. And Pulisic is kind of a classic winger for Chelsea at this point. And they're not playing with those. So if he sticks with that system, there's trouble, right? But, you know, he wasn't first choice when he arrived there under Frank Lampard either. Right. And then you had Project Restart once, once they got things back going after COVID. And he claimed his place and he was fantastic down the stretch for them. Earned himself the number 10 shirt. Right. Big deal. Uh, so I think you're right that it's not quite time to hit the panic button. It's only been barely a month, a little over a month since Tuchel took over. So, you know, and you mentioned there's been an injury there. So it's not done and dusted. Right. Um, but there are some warning signs. Um, I think, you know, the fact that Tuchel is saying, hey, this guy could be an elite super sub. I don't think that's wrong, by the way. Um, but it's a little concerning if you're a guy that's trying to start, right? No one wants to be relegated to a bench role. So, yeah, I think it, I think it bears watching, but it's not something that people should necessarily be freaking out over yet. Um, and I also think that even if Pulisic isn't starting every game, and even if he isn't getting a ton of run for Chelsea... That's not necessarily the end of the world for the U.S. men's national team. I think I'm off base there. Yeah, a little bit. I, I do think that he needs to have a rhythm going into World Cup qualifiers in the fall. Now, we're a while away from that. I'm not worried about March friendlies. I'm not worried about June Nations League. I do think there are some elements of just keeping Christian Pulisic healthy. So I get your point of like not wearing down those legs. But he is... You know, probably no. He, he definitely is the most attacking, most important attacking player for the U.S. Gio I mean, Reyna, it, he needs to be playing. Don't get me wrong, but if if he's a spot starter who's getting minutes off the bench when he's not starting, I think that's probably all right. I just think the minutes haven't been enough right now. I, no, I agree with that. That the role would have to increase for sure yeah. from what it is right now. I, I just I would be more concerned if I'm Greg Berhalter with a change of scenery for Christian Pulisic this summer. Like if he goes to, especially if he goes to a bigger club, and you don't know what's going to happen again, bigger club or a level club, or I mean, yeah, or, or I guess bigger, or, or like bigger. Liverpool, yeah. Bayern Munich, like right now, there aren't very are they, many clubs that are bigger than Chelsea. Is yeah, what I'm saying. yeah, I get, I get that. I just think like he has a realistic chance of starting at Chelsea if he can fight his way into the team if there's a change in formation if they go back yeah. to a 4-3-3 I mean there there are a ton of high-priced talented attackers on that team it's not and there aren't many roles for them right now so there's going to be some guys that are sitting out yeah and and I, I mean I'm very interested to see how it plays out I just think anytime you change teams it's a big risk it's a big risk now it's also in this case Sam a risk to kind of tough it out and hope that you carve out a bigger role next season. So not yeah. ideal, not ideal for, for us men's national team because the games are so important. And, and really when you look at that team, the U S team, that is when you talk about the attacking talent of the national team, Gio Reyna is very, very good. He's also very, very young and he's also going through kind yeah. of normal growing yeah. stages of his career. Not playing all the time. He's not Christian Pulisic. Like that team is built around the wingers. It's built around the wingers, and specifically, it's built around getting Christian Pulisic on the ball yeah. and in space as much as possible. They need him in form. They need uh, him I mean, confident. I, 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 I hear you. I think Gio Reyna is a more skilled player than Christian Pulisic. Now, he is young, he's much younger, right? Um, and you can disagree with me, and you can make a little sour face right now, but, you know, that's my opinion. There are two guys... On the U.S. team with experience in World Cup qualifiers when we get to September that will be starting? I'm not saying he's not important, And he's Paul. one of them. All I'm saying is they... I'm not, Who's the other? John Brooks. All right. And maybe Aaron jo- Long. Maybe, Aaron maybe, Long if he starts. Maybe so, Josie. Maybe. But I, I just think... <laughs> I, you, I'm not. I'm not. I wish to this was a Gio. video show because you guys should see the look that Paul just gave me for suggesting what I just suggested. I have been a backer of Josie Altidore remaining in the pool, but even I'm running out of ammunition here. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, again, I think Gio Reyna is very talented. I'm not knocking him. I'm not knocking his ability. Giassi Zardes has played in World Cup qualifiers for the record. That's true. Jossie's artist has. That's true. Um, I just, I just wonder. I just wonder. For me, it's more about Christian Pulisic's confidence. They need him to be. 
Well, the man. They the, need him the to good be the news, man. The good news with a busy schedule, man, is that you don't need to play with it for your club to be confident. They're going to be playing three games with the national team damn near every month. Um, he'll be pretty busy just with the U.S. alone. So it's going to be really interesting to see, and this is a, a different topic for a different day, but how Berhalter manages these European guys because they are worn out, all of them. Not the U.S. guys. Every single player playing in Europe is worn out, and and the the busy part of the national team schedule has not yet started. Um, so that's going to be fascinating to keep an eye on. Um, but yeah, your point, uh, it's a risk to stay, it's a risk to go, 100%. Everything is uncertain in this life, Paul. And that's why I take comfort in my pogs. This has been Allocation Disorder. I'm Sam. He's Paul. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.